0: we're continuing to <clears throat> excuse me, continuing to learn how to read the bible better and i'll be honest with you this morning is not really going to be a sermon in the traditional sense we will look at scripture and we will talk about the word of god but it's going to be more about how we have the english bible that we read i know there's sometimes confusion about which translations to use and there's confusion about how we got our english bible so i'm going to tell you the story and help you to be able to go to the Christian bookstore, whether you can find one with brick or not. It's almost impossible anymore to find a real Christian bookstore. So whether you're ordering your Bibles online or at a Christian bookstore, to know what all of those acronyms, all those initials mean. C-E-B and K-J-V and N-K-J-V and N-I-V. It's just like an alphabet soup. Or like the military. I think there's more initials than there are in the military. So anyway, we will talk about that uh, this morning. Of course, the Bible, Peter tells us really how the, God spoke to, inspired the writers of Scripture. Peter says, above all you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretations because no prophecy ever came by the will of man... Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so I think of those moments when God wanted to speak, not just to a people in a time, but wanted to speak to humanity for all time. There was a prophet. There was an apostle. There was a historian to whom God spoke. And, and that person, whether it's Moses or Paul or, or Luke or Matthew, wrote. And what they wrote was the Word of God. Again, they didn't, it wasn't like they were taking dictation and, and God just had this audible voice and they started to write it down. Because you can see from the way the, the Bible is read that the human authors had their own personality. They had their own mark on the scripture. That's what I find amazing. You can tell when John has written something. You can tell when Paul has written something. Their their personality is there, yet it's still the word of God. And so there was a moment when the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy was in Paul's hands and was in Timothy's hands. But that letter that was written In fact, everything that was written at the moment it was written has passed from history long ago. We do not have the things that Moses wrote. We don't have the things that David wrote. We don't have what Paul wrote. We don't have the the physical uh, parchments or the physical material in which those words were written, on which the Word of God was written. I don't know if that sounds scary to you or not, but we don't have the original thing that was written. What do we have? We have copies of them. And as you can think, and as you would know, as you would think about it, until the printing press was invented in 1443, not all that long ago in human history, until then, everything had to be copied by hand. Really, that's almost impossible for us to imagine. All we do is put something in a copying machine, and it's copied. Or we type it in a computer, and we send it through uh, wherever it goes. It's turned into little bits of information and sent to another computer. What I write and what someone produces can be sent around the world instantly. But not so for most of human history. If I had something I wanted to tell you and I wanted you to send that to someone else, I'd have to write it out. And so that was true of Scripture. It had to be copied by hand. As you can imagine, a process that was at times difficult, at times it took a lot of time always. And in fact, as the Bible was copied, you can see from all the different copies we have today that sometimes there were some slight errors when people copied as would happen if you copied a lot. What happens when you copy things? One thing that happens quite often, you miss your space. And so you're copying on this line, you see a similar word farther down, and you either either skip spaces, or you copy spaces again, because you're going back over what you've already written, but you didn't realize it. You might admit a word here or there, add a word here or there. So there's times... When you copy, if you've done it, probably never have done it in a long time now, but there are little mistakes that you can make. And you can see that sometimes in all the copies that we have of the Scripture. So it was copied, and when we think about the Old Testament, let me tell you about the copies we have. I'm going to tell you some more information that, uh, that might make you a little bit uneasy. Uh, the, the Old Testament sc- copies that we have, uh, most of what we have today were copied by the Masoretes. That was the name that they were called by. Hebrew scholars. They were very, very meticulous in how they copied. But they didn't arise as a group of copyists and scribes until 500 years after Jesus. Which is about 2,000 years after Moses. So that might give some concern that the copies we have of the Old Testament, most of them or thousands of years from when they were actually written. That might cause someone to be concerned because over thousands of years of copying, there could be lots of errors, lots of mistakes. They were very meticulous in how they copied, and that's all we really had until the 1940s and 1950s when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. These were copies of the Old Testament that were found in caves, really out in the desert, by a group called the Essenes who probably hid these copies of the Old Testament in caves to keep them from the Romans discovering them and destroying them. And You know what was so amazing when these were found? These were written uh, before Jesus a couple of centuries before and during the time of Jesus and after, these were almost identical to the copies that were hundreds of years older. In fact, 250 B.C. is only a couple hundred years from when the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, was written. So this gave great confidence to know that What we had as the copies of the Old Testament, they were accurate, and God had preserved them over the centuries. It was a a great find, and I I don't think it's an accident that in the 20th century when uh, critics of the Bible and when uh, people who would uh, destroy our faith were becoming louder, it's when God allowed these to be discovered really, in my belief, to silence many of the critics. But we can even go farther back in time. There's not only the Hebrew copies, which is what, of course, the, Hebrew, uh, the authors of the Old Testament wrote in, but there's a translation of the Hebrew in Greek called the Septuagint. Uh, the uh, Jewish people, the Hebrews, by the time the uh, Greeks had conquered the Middle East, they stopped speaking Hebrew. Most of them spoke Greek. They wanted to be able to read the Bible. At that time, all they had was the Old Testament, of course. A lot of them didn't speak Hebrew. They spoke Greek. So there was a translation of the Old Testament into Greek, and we have copies of that. That translation was made about a hundred years after Malachi finished the Old Testament and 300 years before Jesus was born. So again, now we're getting very close to when some of these Old Testament prophets actually spoke and wrote. And again, when we see that, cop- that translation into Greek and compare it to the Hebrew that we have, it's very, very close. And when I say very, very close, again, when I'm talking about our copy areas, maybe you see a spelling difference. Or you see, again, a word omitted or a phrase added. But again, you can tell, well, this is obvious. Someone was copying and their eye missed. When I say they're very, very close, I'm not saying, well, this part of Scripture, this chapter is missing and this important truth of the gospel is added here. Nothing like that. We're talking about copying errors that make these copies different. Not theology, not verses, not Passages changed, missed, or added. We're talking about obvious mistakes that everyone makes when you are copying. So that's what we have for the Old Testament. The New Testament, we have thousands of fragments and copies, and the wor- the, a lot of them were written on papyrus. That's the type of material, it's made from reeds. Of course, they didn't have the paper that we have now. A codex means that they were bound into a book. And you'll notice, see on the screen, we have almost 6,000 copies of the New Testament. When I say that, though, it's not all of the books necessarily. not 6,000 copies of Matthew through Revelation. We may just have a page from an old codex. We may just have a book of the New Testament. So it's not... Almost 6,000 complete New Testaments, but still there are 6,000 copies. Plus, again, the New Testament was translated into many languages, even more so than Hebrew because the New Testament church spread all over the Roman Empire very quickly. So there were copies of it translated into many languages. We have those as well. So almost 24,000 different copies of the New Testament, and again, they only disagree in minor ways as people copy them. The English language, let's talk about that. The English language really uh, begins as a language 600 years after Jesus. And so, obviously, for 600 years, there were no English speakers. There were no English speakers when Jesus was alive, so there was no reason to have an English Bible if no one spoke it, right? So, Uh, The early church in the western part of the world, of the the Roman Empire, for church and for Bible, spoke in Latin. Of course, that was the language of the Roman Empire. And so very early on, there were copies, uh, translations of the Old and New Testament made into Latin. The one that became most common, was used throughout the Western Empire, was the version that's called the Vulgate translated into Latin, about 400 A.D., again, about 400 years after Jesus was born. But that was used for centuries because church was in Latin. No one ever thought of putting the Bible into another language. Why would you do that? We have the Bible in Latin, and the people, the priest and the people who had needed to read the Bible and needed to preach the Bible spoke in Latin and read in Latin, and so that's what they did. And in fact, it wasn't even encouraged for Christians to have their own Bible, which was very difficult to have. Again, remember, you're copying, very expensive, very hard to do. So, most Christians, I would say all Christians, didn't have their own copy of the Bible. They would go to church, hear the the priest tell them what was in the Bible, and that's how they learned it, and it was in Latin. So there was no reason to have a different language. Well, that changed in in England in 1382. John Wycliffe was the first one to translate the Bible into English. In fact, it was the first translation in any modern European language of the Bible. But he didn't translate it from Greek and Hebrew. He translated it from the Latin because that's what he had. Then in fact, in 1403, it became illegal to make any translation of the Bible into English. Again, there was a thought if people got the Bible themselves, they might look at it and read it and understand it maybe better than the priests could. They didn't want that to happen, so they said, no Bibles in English. Then something else happened. A couple of things happened that really revolutionized and changed everything about the English Bible and what we are used to having today. One, the printing press was invented, 1443. Now you can make multiple copies without having to do it by hand. And also, the eastern part of the Roman Empire fell in the 1400s. And a lot of the Christians from that part of the empire came west. And what they brought with them was more knowledge of Greek and the Greek language. And so what happened where people in the western part of Europe started to know more about Greek culture and Greek classics and the Greek language. And so now that they had this knowledge and they had a printing press, they started printing Greek New Testaments. And so with this new knowledge and this new technology, there was a desire then to start printing English Bibles. Translated not from Latin, but from Greek. William Tyndale was the first one to translate a New Testament into English using Greek. But then he was executed when he was working on the Old Testament because he was creating an English Bible. Again, that was frowned upon. But quickly, that changed. I said with the new technology and with the new knowledge, there were several in the 1500s that were printed. The Cloverdale Bible was the first one printed in English. The whole Printed in English, but it was from the Latin translation, even from the German translation of Martin Luther. The Matthews Bible, the Great Bible, it was called that because King Henry VIII wanted a big Bible in every church. You know why he made it so big? In fact, he chained it to the church, the podium, wherever it was, so people wouldn't steal it. (laughs) Okay, So that's why it was made big, and that's why it was chained down. The Geneva Bible was the first one directly translated from Greek and Hebrew in 1560. It was the first translation done by a committee, not by a person. It was the first one to have verse divisions, chapters and verses, although it's not the first time that was created, but that was the first time it was printed in a Bible. That's the Bible the pilgrims brought here to America. It's the Bible that William Shakespeare read. And in fact, even after the King James Bible was uh, printed, the Geneva Bible was more popular even 50 years later. This was the Bible for many years for English-speaking people. Of course, that all did change. There's a picture of it. And I always like the the weird way they printed things. The Holy Gospel of Jesus Christ according to John. Where's the F's and the the T's? Uh, You know, it just looks weird, doesn't it? (laughs) Anyway, that's English from the 15th. There was also the Bishop's Bible for a short time. But... That all changed with the King James Bible in 1611. In fact, it was commissioned by King James because he didn't like the Geneva Bible. The one thing about the Geneva Bible, it was very Calvinistic. It had lots of notes in it from John Calvin, and King James didn't like that. So he wanted his own translation. So he got a committee together, and they did use published Greek and Hebrew text, and they also used previous English Bibles, the ones I just mentioned Bishop's Bible, the Tyndale's Bible, and the Geneva Bible. They used those when they were making their translation. So they revised some of the English from the previous ones. They looked at the Greek and the Hebrew and created what we know as the King James Version or the King James Bible. Here are some humorous errors in it, of course, that were changed when they were printed. But it's just to show you that even as you copy things that can make mistakes, you can print things and make mistakes, so look at this, the, uh, the original one had Judas going to Gethsemane instead of Jesus. A mistake in 1631 said, Thou shalt commit adultery. <laughs> A mistake in 1653, The unrighteous shall inherit the kingdom of God. What about Jesus saying to the woman caught in sin, Sin on more instead of sin no more. I wonder what the parable of the vinegar is uh, instead of the parable of the vineyard. I never knew that Philip was the one who denied Jesus instead of Peter. And Jesus said to the Syrophoenician woman, let the children first be killed instead of let the children first be filled. I don't show you those to make fun of the King James, just to show you that when you print something, just as when you copy something, you can make mistakes. And again, this shows you, if there happened to be a copy of the King James Bible from 1792 that had Philip denying Jesus, you would read that and say, well, that's a mistake. It doesn't agree, but you would be able to see it. It's obvious, isn't it? It's a copying mistake. It's a printing mistake. And that's when I talk about different copies of the Bible and how they are different. This is how they're different and mistakes made in copying or in printing. Let's come closer to the 20th century. For a couple of hundred years, the King James Bible was the only English Bible. There were a couple of things that changed that. One is you can think of the 1800s. Maybe you can think about this in history. There was a a desire to go out into the world because now the English empire did encompass the whole world. And so English people went over the world and they found things from other parts of the world and brought them back and put them in museums and there was a lot of excitement about discovery. As they did this, one thing that they discovered was more and more manuscripts, copies of the Bible in Greek. For the new testament in hebrew for the old testament as they started collecting these again they started to look at them and notice that they had now more information more copies to compare the more copies you have to compare the more that you can see where a copying mistake may have been made and so what happened was these scholars then decided to publish a Greek New Testament based on all these new discoveries and publish a Hebrew Old Testament based on these discoveries. And so there was a desire then with these new discoveries to look again at the King James that we had. And so there were some revisions of the King James based on this new information. And here you can see the list of them, revised version, American Standard version. And as you know, there are English speakers in Britain, and they are English speakers in America, and we don't always speak the same language, okay? So the, uh, some of the translations, we'll see a newer one here in a moment, are more predominantly for British speakers or for American speakers, and so that was true of these versions of the Bible, and most of them, well, all these that I have on the screen were really revisions of the King James. They weren't really new translations. They took the King James Revised. It took some of the new information. But that changed in the 70s. There was a desire to have a Bible that was a new translation, not based on the King James. And also, as I'm going to share in a moment, not a word-for-word translation. And so there was the Good News Bible that was published in 1976. It was published primarily for help in mission work to people who weren't primarily English speakers. So if you are an English missionary and you're going to a country that doesn't speak English as their first language and you have a King James Bible, you can see how difficult it would be to communicate using that King James Bible in 1611 English to someone in Africa who barely can speak 20th century English. And so there was a desire to have a new translation. Again, you may not be as familiar with this, although the Billy Graham Crusade used this uh, version of the Bible in a lot of their published materials during Billy Graham's Crusades. But it's, again, more for British speakers than it was for American speakers. This version of the Bible is still around today, but you're more familiar with the NIV that was intended to be written for international English speakers, not British or American. And so you're familiar with that. As you can see, it was first published in 1978, revised in 84, and also in 2011. The reason I put those years there for you is because these modern English translations do get revised from time to time as our American speaking change, or English speaking changes and as there's more information. But the reason I tell you that, if, like if you go today to the bookstore and buy an NIV Bible, it's going to be a 2011 NIV Bible. And if you have an older one, it's not going to look the same. It's not, going to have the, it's not the same. They've changed it a little bit. They've revised it a little bit. And so if you ever confused or want to know, of course, what version you have, you just look at the very first page. It gives you the copyright date. And so, in fact, for the NIV, I have all three of those. I have one that is actually a 78 one, which is hard to find, an 84 one, a 2011 one. I got all of those. That's one of the things I like to do is collect Bibles. So you can imagine that as being a pastor, okay, <laughs> By 1995, the NIV had outsold the King James Version. Real quick, I want to share with you something. I know it looks like a lot of words, but it's not that hard to understand. When you want to pick out a Bible, there's really three different philosophies of translation, and that's why there's so many different English versions today. One is to try to do a word-for-word translation. Now, you might say, that's the only way that makes sense, if it's a Greek word, translated into English. Well, the only problem with exact word-for-word translation is that English is spoken differently than Greek and Hebrew is. For example, oh, you th- if you know Spanish, this is true too. You know, if you want to say red car in English, you say red first and car second. But in Spanish, you say it the opposite way. You would say the car first and then the adjective red afterward. So there are similar things with that in any language. And so you can't actually do a word-for-word translation. It actually is impossible, but you can try to get it as close as you can. And so these are called formal equivalents. And so the King James is like that. If you have a New American Standard Bible, the New King James, or one that is popular today is the English Standard Version, the ESV. These, this is the translation philosophy of those. What many of you are familiar with are also are Bibles that... The purpose of them is to be more thought for thought. So they're going to be easier to read in English. And in fact, some of the cultural expressions that make no sense in English, taking them from Greek and Hebrew, remember I was talking a few weeks ago about how emotions are in the kidneys? And when you come to the verses that God seeks out the heart and the kidneys, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So instead of saying heart and kidneys, you translate it in a way that makes sense in English. And so these are more thought for thought translations. So you notice a lot of them here, the NIVs that way, the New Living Translation, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the New English Translation, the Common English Bible, and the Christian Standard Bible. Maybe some of those are familiar, some of them are not. What I use on Sunday mornings, 99% of the time, is now the Christian Standard Bible. As you notice, that's a very new one, but it's based on the Holman Christian Standard Bible. So if you want to know which one I use, that's the one that you'll see on the screens. The reason I use it is it is, for a public worship setting, easy to understand. It is a good thought-for-thought translation. And also, although it was not specifically made for Southern Baptists, it was Lifeway Publishers and Southern Baptists who created the committee together to translate the Bible. So it has some Southern Baptist roots to it. and So for a Southern Baptist church, it makes sense, doesn't it, (laughs) to use that Bible. There's also what's called a paraphrase, which isn't a translation at all. It's taking the words of Scripture and trying to paraphrase them to make it easier to understand. So back in the 70s, the Living Bible was written. And again, it wasn't based on a translation. It was just taking actually the King James Bible and rewriting it, paraphrasing it to make it easier for children to understand. The message is a popular one that was published in 2002. Again, if you read the message, it does not sound like the Bible at all in the sense of the memory verses you have memorized. That's not its intent. It's not trying to be. It's trying to give you the overall idea of those verses, and actually to say it in a way that would make sense to first hearers in English today. So this is what I encourage all, everyone who reads the Bible, which should be all of you, is to have an English translation that's one, at least one of all three categories. Have one that is a formal one, so that when you want to know as close to word for word, you can read one of these. If you want a suggestion from me, I think the English Standard Version is an excellent one to use. But you can use your favorite one. So I would recommend have an English Standard Version. Also have one of these. I know the NIV is popular because of how long it's been around. That's a good one. As I said, I told you the ones I use on Sunday mornings if you want to follow along with that. So have one of these. Also have a paraphrase. I like the message. I go to it sometimes to read it just to hear how it compares to the other versions of the Bible that I have. Now, the great thing is if you have technology, if you have the Bible app on your phone, it has all of these translations and more. You don't have to go buy them all. If you have a computer, you can find them on there. Most of these are free, and you can find them and you can use them, and often you can find software, free software on the computer, where you can have them side by side by side. Very, very helpful when you're studying the Bible, especially when you come to passages that you don't quite understand. Very quickly, I want to answer, well, i got a couple of slides here. You don't have time to look at it quickly, but it shows you, again, how the different types of Bibles fit a different type of philosophy in translating. Another way to think about it is how easy it is to read, and so that is true, too, children's Bibles use a different English version sometimes to make it easier for children. And as you can see, the grade level of the different English translations are there for a purpose. So the hardest to read is the King James because it's 1611 English, which none of us speak anymore. So that's why it's on a 12th grade reading level. So you can see most of the thought-for-thought translations are kind of in the middle, like a middle school reading level. And actually, uh, newspapers and things that are written for public information are on a middle school reading level. Now, if you're reading a scientific journal, obviously it's not. (laughs) But if you're reading the Richmond Times, it is intended to be on a middle school reading level. Last thing, I know we're out of time, but this is a question I often get. Why is the King James different from... English translations, other than the fact, of course, it's not using 1611 English. Real quick, the King James and all modern translations are translated from published Greek and Hebrew. What I mean by that is no one goes, I mean, if today the NIV was going to translate the Bible again, they're not going to go to the museums and find all the fragments of the New Testament. They're going to use this. All modern English translations are translated from this, which is a published translation Greek, New Testament. It's in Greek. But well, obviously this isn't a fragment or something ancient, is it? Okay, So they've taken all the ancient manuscripts and they have created this. The same with Hebrew. All this is tricky because you open it this way and that's the last page. Okay? That's, well, there's no page. There's Malachi. If you want to go to Genesis, you have to turn it around and start back here because remember Hebrew goes the opposite way from English. So here's the front of the book in Hebrew. Where's Genesis? There it is, that we would consider the back of the book, right? But it's the front of the book, because Hebrew is the opposite direction. But anyway, that's what they used. So the King James was, when they were translating, obviously they didn't have they had what they had. It's 16:11. So they used Old Testament, New Testament, published. Books that were from the 1500s. Of course, today, as I said, with the discovery of new documents, especially at the end of the 1800s, the New Testament, notice there, the first edition, 1898. Notice the Old Testament, first edition, 1901. So these come from them. This Hebrew Bible here is based on, uh, this one here is the top one from 1997, this version of it. So that's what's used today. So they're different. Remember, 1898 is different from 1500, okay? So they have had new fragments found, so it's why there's new ones. Just real quick, almost every English Bible is translated basically from one manuscript that's from 1000 A.D., the Old Testament, I mean the King James and the New Ones. That's basically what this is. Okay? But the New Testament is a little bit different. There are thousands of manuscripts of the New Testament. The New Testament here, this Greek New Testament, I believe is much more accurate and closer to what the actual New Testament is because of all of the manuscripts we found since 1611. And so that's why there are some differences. There are 16 verses in the King James that aren't in modern English translations, and most of them are places that to me seem obvious that an ancient copier was trying to make the Gospels and the uh, testimony of Paul match. You know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the same stories, but often they don't tell them with the exact details. For some people, they don't like that, and it seems obvious that there were some ancient scribes that didn't like that. And so if an account in the Gospels was missing a sentence, they would add it from a different Gospel and put it in to the Gospel. And so that accounts for almost all 16 of those verses that aren't. The same with a couple of them are also Paul's testimony. Paul gives his testimony three different times in the, in the Acts, Book of Acts. Some ancient scribes didn't like the fact that all three weren't exactly the same. So they made them exactly the same. Okay? And when they did that, uh, they changed them. Also, this is interesting. This is the last thing. 1 John 5, 7, and 8 is in the King James Bible, but is not in any modern English Bible. And the reason is because those verses are not in any of those thousands of manuscripts we have of the Greek New Testament. Where did it come from? It came from the Latin Vulgate. Remember that? It is in the Latin Vulgate, but it's not in any Greek manuscripts. So that's why... It's not in any modern English version. I think it never was in there. If it's not in any of them, why would we think it was in there? Obviously, at some time, it was put into a Latin Bible that was then copied. And the story of why it's in the King James is a long and interesting one. It has to do with politics, and so we're not going to talk about it because it's late and uh, kind of boring. But anyway... Now well, what my conclusion is, as I said, this isn't a sermon this morning, but the reason I wanted to share this with you is I was in church as a child and as a teenager and as an adult for over 20 years and never heard this ever. Not in Sunday school, not in church, not anywhere. Now one thing, of course, is I was a child in the 70s and a teenager in the 80s who basically only had the King James, right? That's when the NIV was just starting. But all the other things about how the Bible came to be, I never heard ever, and I know it may be a little bit long, maybe a little bit boring. You might have checked out the very beginning, but it's still very important. And so I, I want you to hear it and to know it. And if I had a class during Sunday school, especially if I had a class on a Thursday night, there'd be 10 people to hear it. And I wanted more than 10 people to hear it. So that's why I shared it on a Sunday morning. But this is the bottom line. Every copy of the English Bible that you have today is accurate, is helpful, beneficial. There's no errors in it. There's no mistakes in it unless you're reading the Jehovah's Witness translation of the Bible. Okay? It's, it's, with that exception, throw that one out. Read any of them and be confident that what you're reading is the Word of God. So if you don't have... You know, that, that's what I'm trying to tell you. So what, if you just have one and it's the King James, read it. If you've got a hundred and you've got them all, read them all. The most important thing is to read the Bible And more than that, to obey it and live it out. I'm going to pray for us and dismiss us to Sunday school. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that your word, we can be confident that that what we have in our hands is your word, written centuries ago, but preserved by you and copied by scribes and printed and distributed worldwide to billions of people. It is your word. I'm amazed, Lord, at how through the centuries and even with politics and wars and everything that's happened in human history, we have your word as you gave it to Moses and David and Paul. So, Lord, I do pray that my brothers and sisters and I would be thankful that we have a copy and be thankful that we can read it and obey it. And I pray, Lord, that is what we do. I pray now that you would uh, help us to learn in Sunday school and bless the rest of our day. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. You are dismissed.